0: Well, we have been in this uh, summer at the gathering. I did a, a, a series called Untapped at the beginning and today I'm doing a standalone message. It doesn't connect to last week's. It won't connect to next week's. Really, uh, I, I, I'm just going to kind of share a journal entry with you today. I, I've titled this message Remembered and Forgotten. Remembered and forgotten. And I wanna talk about what really matters for a few moments. What I wanna do is push you to take a step back and take a broader look at your life. I love like anything superheroes. I don't know. I just, I don't know why. I'm just into it. Like, I love Marvel movies and TV shows and all of it. I like uh, Superman and Batman all of these things I'm fascinated by. I also like like the spy shows and all the kind of action movies and things like that. And in all of the stuff in that genre, there's always two important people on the mission, right? There's always two really important people on the mission. There's your Jack Reacher, right? There's the guy that's that's going out there and busting skulls and accomplishing the mission. He's good at everything. Have you ever noticed that the, the main character and all these, he's the best at anything he's ever done, you know? Jack Ryans, the set. They're all named Jack for some reason, and uh, and there's always the the hero, the main character, and then there's the guy in the chair. Who likes the guy in the chair? The guy in the chair is the guy that just knows. He's like, oh, I need to hack into the NSA database. Give me two seconds, beep, bop, borp. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> wow, it's that easy. Or this guy is so good. He's like, yeah, I've got a schematic of this building that was built in 1923. There's a light switch to your right. Take two steps forward and just put your hand on the wall. It's like, wow. The guy in the chair is what they call him in that genre. In action movies, superhero movies, there's the guy in the chair. And I think a lot of times when we're going through life, we operate like the main character, right? We're ready to do some karate kicks and and to save the day. We see everything one moment at a time. Where we are is what we see. The second we're living in is what we know about. But what I want to encourage you to do today is take a step out of the main character's spot and be the guy in the chair for a moment. Let's look at the whole picture. Let's look at our lives from the perspective of the bigger picture today because I want to talk about legacy today. And I want to talk about legacy and I want to talk about purpose and I want to talk about what we give our focus and our attention to. I do a Bible reading plan every year. I've read through the Bible every year for a long time now. and It's such a gift to me to be able to do that. It never ever gets old. There is always something new. Always something interesting and exciting to learn. And my plan that I use is called the Bible in One Year app. And if you are looking for a way to get into reading the Bible, I really, really recommend this app. I know some of y'all are reading through the Bible in One Year with me. It's a red and white app. And Nikki. Bumble is the guy who writes the commentary and his wife pippa always adds in on the end and if you listen to it he reads it and he's british so it's very interesting it's like when martin preaches here it's very interesting solely because of his accent and, and, and at the end, it's always like, Pippa ads, and she comes in and says a little something about it. It's fantastic. Well, anyways, I, I was reading through it this week, and I was studying in the book of Kings and came across the story of Jehu. Uh, I want to talk about Jehu today. Um, Jehu is a really interesting king from the Bible. Um, now, Jehu is one of Israel's kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles. He served as king about 130, 140 years after King David. So, you know, King David of David and Goliath fame, you know, King David established the line that Jesus was born into. He was a really important character in Israel's history. Well, after King David came a series of kings and some were good, some were bad. And Jehu is about 130 years later, he's still about 300 years before the end of the reign of the proper Jewish kings, before we would get close to the time of Jesus, and Jehu came on the scene after a particularly bad king a very bad king in fact, named Ahab. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were some of the worst king and queen that Israel ever had. Ahab was a really bad king because his entire reign, he was only obsessed with finding this giant white whale. It was the only thing that he fixed his attention. Just kidding. You guys, come on. That's, that's a Herman Melville novel from the late 19th century. It's not in the Bible. This is a different Ahab entirely. This Ahab was a bad king because he didn't worship God. He was a bad king because he turned all of his attention and therefore the attention of this nation, which was the people of God, towards a false god or series of gods called Baal or the Baals. And Ahab was given this incredible responsibility as a king of Israel. When you read the Old Testament, what you're seeing is God setting up all the foundation work for Jesus to enter into the scene. He's establishing a relationship with humanity. He's revealing all the aspects of his character and the, the parts of himself that he needs us to know and understand before we enter into a relationship with Jesus or after we enter into a relationship with Jesus. We learn all these things about God and that's what the Old Testament story is showing us over and over again. The nation of Israel was meant to be separated and set apart from the ways of the world around it. They were meant to serve and honor and worship God so that they could teach the world about the holiness of God. And when they stepped outside of the holiness of God and the holiness of being God's people, there was justice that would come because that's the way God works. He is a God of justice. He doesn't let, the un- he doesn't let sin go unpunished. He doesn't let the world just go however it wants without justice being involved. The whole point of the cross was to serve justice once and for all for you and I. But in the Old Testament, all of that groundwork is being established. Ahab's role was to separate the people of Israel from the rest of the world and worship God and God only him bring more and more of their people into closer and deeper relationship with him. He left that. He married a woman called Jezebel who was not Israelite, and she brought in all this foreign God worship into the country and tried to actively push out all the worship of the God of Abraham, our God, Yahweh. And so uh, there was a prophet called Elijah Elijah is one of the most famous prophets in the Bible. And one of the things he's most famous for is this big showdown he had between the prophets of Baal and God. And at the end of that, once he proved that God is real and the Baals are fake, uh, he went into hiding from Ahab and Jezebel. And God used all these different moments to end the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And Jehu comes onto the scene a few years later as a way of finishing the story of Ahab. Uh, God raised Jehu up as king, to punish Ahab and Jezebel for leading Israel astray. So 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10 tells Jehu's story. Uh, Let's look at his story beginning in chapter 9. I want to pick up right after he's anointed king. Jehu was a military commander in Israel's army. And King Ahab, uh, he's dead, he's died, and his son Joram is now the king. And he's just like his dad. He's trying to keep his dad's legacy going, which means he's keeping all the false god worship. He's moving Israel in the same direction that Ahab was moving it. Uh, Joram is leading Israel further and further away from God. And Jehu is a follower of the God of Abraham. So Elisha the prophet who replaced Elijah, I like how their names go together, that pleases me, sends another prophet to anoint him as king. And uh, Jehu's anointed as king in a military tent on the battlefield, and he comes out and says, the prophet's anointed me as king, and all the soldiers that he's he's commanding bow down and honor him as king right away. So this, you guys, this is like a Russell Crowe movie. All the stuff that's about to happen, you gotta lean in, the Bible is not boring. This is a military coup, right? Right now, there's King Joram, who is the king, who is the descendant of the king before him. And Jehu is the usurper, but he's anointed by God. So Jehu rides to where King Joram is in order to kill him and take the throne. We'll pick it up in verse 14. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat. Now, maybe you know him from jumping Jehoshaphat. The son of Nimshi conspired against Joram. Now, Joram and all Israel have been defending Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Aram. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds the Arameans had inflicted on him in the battle with Hazael, king of Aram. There's wars happening everywhere at this time in Israel's history because the people of Israel have turned against God, and so God isn't protecting them and their borders the way that he normally does. There's wars all over. Uh, Jehu said, If you desire to make me king, he's saying this to his soldiers. If you desire to make me king, don't let anyone slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. And then he got into his chariot and rode to Jezreel because Joram was resting there. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had gone down to see him. There are two kings over the Jewish people, the king of Judah, the king of Israel. And both are sons of Ahab at this time. They're together in this one place called Jezreel. So Jehu and his army gets to Jezreel. Verse 17, when the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out, I see some troops coming. Well, get a horseman, ordered King Joram. Send him to meet him and ask, do you come in peace? So he's like, there's an army coming. Is this going to be okay? Sends out a rider. The horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? What do you have to do with Peace. Jehu replied, fall in behind me. And the guy just joins the army of Jehu. The lookout reported the messenger has reached them, but he isn't coming back. So the king sent out a second horseman. When he came to them, he said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? And Jehu replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. And that guy joins Jehu's army as well. The lookout reported he has reached them, but he isn't coming back either. I love this next part. The driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a maniac. He's out there. His chariot's just swerving all over the battlefield. He's coming up. He's crazy. Verse 21. Hitch up my chariot, King Joram ordered. And when it was hitched up, Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, rode out each in their own chariot to meet Jehu. And they met him at the plot of ground that belonged to Naboth, the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he asked, Have you come in peace, Jehu? How can there be peace, Jehu replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound. Joram turned around and fled, calling out to Haziah, Treachery! Run away! He's, he immediately is like, this is not going well. He turns around and he is going as fast as he can in the other direction. And then Jehu drew his bow and shot Joram between the shoulders as his chariot was flying away. The arrow pierced his heart and he slumped over into his moving chariot. How cool is that story, you guys? Am I right? This is the Bible. This is in 2 Kings. I'm reading this this week, and I'm like, woo, yeah, let's go. Get him, Jehu. I mean, goodness gracious. It's awesome. And so, uh, man, I just get pumped up. Let me take some deep breaths. So he kills, also Joram's brother is also gone. He kills him next, uh, who's the king of Judah. And then He has Jezebel. Honestly, I'm not going to read about Jezebel's death. If you want to read it, go read 2 Kings chapter 9. It's horrible. She has a horrible death. Uh, Jehu has her killed. And then Jehu goes and finds everyone related to or loyal to Ahab and has them killed. It gets more and more brutal. He is absolutely wiping out the line and loyalty to this king who turned the nation against God. He is acting as the justice of God in this season. Finally, he finds everyone who worships the false god Baal, the god that Ahab and Jezebel were leading everyone to worship, and he locks them in the temple of Baal, and his army executes them. Also very brutal. It's very extreme, but this is the age of kings and empires. You've got to remember, we're talking thousands of years in our past, and God gave these people centuries to repent of their worship to Baal when they did not, he used Jehu to bring justice. We'll pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30. It says, the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all that I had in mind to do. The prophet Elijah told Ahab all of these things were going to happen to his house, and they did. Uh, It says, because you've done that, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. This man's whole life was about bringing Israel back to God. What he became famous for was punishing a king who took Israel away from God. But he didn't keep the law of God with all of his heart. He worshipped some false gods, some golden calves. And it says in verse 32, In those days the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel, and Hazael overpowered the Israelites through their territory, east of the Jordan and in all the land of the Gilead, the region of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, uh, from Eror, by Arnon, Gorge, through just the lands got smaller. And as for the other events of Jehu's reign... All he did and all of his achievements are they not written in the book of annals of the kings of Israel. Jehu rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria and Jehoaz his son succeeded him as king. The time that Jehu reigned in Israel and Samaria was 28 years. 28 years. What I want us to see here today is right here at the end. Verse 34. All the other events of Jehu's reign. All he did and all of his achievements, are they not written in the book of annals of the kings of Israel? Let's talk about the book of annals of the kings of Israel for a moment. See, Jehu ruled for 28 years. He's one of the longer ruling kings in the history of Israel. That's a long reign. What we know about Jehu, what we're given information of, is what happens within the first year of him being king. 27 years of his life and his reign and his time as king is not recorded in the book of Kings. It's recorded in the book of Annals. Now there there are more than 5,000 ancient copies of the book of Kings. The Bible is one of the most accurate historical documents of all time simply based upon the amount of ancient documents we have to corroborate it. The book of Kings is gonna last forever. As long as we are here on this earth in this time, We will have the book of Kings and we will know this story of Jehu. But the book of Annals has been lost for millennia. There have been archaeologists that have given their lives to trying to discover and find some of these books of Annals, some of these other recordings that are mentioned throughout Kings and Chronicles, some of these other moments of history to these kings that we know about. But men have devoted their lives to it and found nothing. It's gone. The book of Annals is gone. That means that there are things that happened in Jehu's life that God intended to be known forever. Legacy that God wanted you and I to know about. Thousands of years later that we would still be talking about some of the things that this king did. But it also means that there was a lot of things that happened in Jehu's life that God knew would be forgotten forever. There were big things and there were little things. Some things were recorded in the book of Kings and some things were recorded in the book of Annals. Some things would be spoken about and told for thousands of years and some things would be forgotten within a generation. It says that Jehu reigned as king for 28 years and 27 of those years we don't know anything about. His story ends by telling us That he got distracted from his purpose. He got distracted from the legacy that he was called to build. And he served false gods. And as a result, there were consequences. Even though his obedience gained him the throne to the fourth generation of descendants. What they ruled was reduced. But the big consequence for him was the rest of his reign. The next 27 years being recorded in the book of Annals to be forever forgotten. When Jehu was focused on the right things, it was recorded in the book of Kings. When he was focused on the wrong things, it was recorded in the book of Annals. So here's the question today. As we survey our own lives and our legacy, as we take a step back and look at the big picture, how do we know what in our lives is important enough to be recorded in the book of Kings and what in our lives would be recorded in the book of Annals? What are you doing today that stands for eternity? And what are you doing today which will be forgotten within a generation? What are the big things? What are the small things? What feels important now but means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme? What are we doing today that's going to impact generations to come? And what are we doing today that will just turn into dust tomorrow? I think for so many of us, our lifetimes become a classic tragedy. We spend all of the short time we have here in this life focused on things that are just going to be recorded in the book of Annals, lost forever, things that don't matter. We undervalue things that will be recorded in the book of Kings and remembered forever. We get it all backwards and messed up. And at the end of our lives, we look back and wish we could have done it differently. I wonder what Jehu's story can teach us about keeping our attention focused on what really matters. So I got three things today that I think you need to have your attention focused on. I think we've gotta reevaluate and readjust. I believe that all of us are wasting precious time right now focusing on things that do not matter. Here's three things that I think do matter and that we can shift towards. pay attention to acts of obedience. Pay attention to acts of obedience. Obedience to God. Jehu was called to be the king in order to deliver upon a promise that God made to Ahab to eliminate his line from the throne forever. When Jehu lived in obedience, everything that he did mattered and it made it into the book of Kings. But when he got distracted and he walked outside of that obedience, it became lost forever. In the New Testament world, We've been given some mission. We've been given some tasking. We've been given some orders, some priorities through Jesus and through the apostles. We've been called to something. Obedience to God, I think, in this day and age especially, is a lot simpler than we think it is. But if you boil down the way that you spend your days, if you were to take every second of your day captive and see where it's all going and where it's being spent, how you're investing your life. I wonder how much space obedience to God would occupy therein. Living your life in obedience to God means a few different things. It means if he calls you to something, stick to it no matter what. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Trust that if he calls you to it, he's going to equip you for it. He's going to sustain you through it. If you don't know how to figure out what God has called you to or what that even means for God to call you to something, in August we're going to be doing a series called Hearing God and that's all it's about. For several weeks we're just going to talk about how to discern the will of God on your life and how to pray. And so you're just going to have to come back and I'll give you more information there. But acting in obedience Is about honoring where God has called you to go, but it's also about doing the things that he's called all of us to do. So let me give you a couple things that you can do today when you leave this space to live your life in obedience to God and to continue to do things that really matter on an eternal scale. The first thing is very simply to love God actively. Not just like I love pizza. Like I'm not eating pizza right now, but I still love it. You know, it's on my heart and my, my love hasn't faltered for it. It's like a second cousin that you, you see at, a, at a, uh, a family reunion, you know, every 10 years and you're like, I love that person. You may love that person. You're not actively loving that person. No, the kind of love that God is looking for is the kind of love that a healthy marriage has. In order for me to love my wife, I have to do it actively. A- anybody who's been married knows that loving your spouse isn't something that is easy or that is natural or that you can put on autopilot. It doesn't work that way. The chemistry you have when you meet at first, it goes away quickly. and You can bring it back to life again, but that only happens when you're loving in a way that is active where you are participating in the act of love constantly by communicating, by spending time, by being intentional, by creating intentional space for your marriage, by learning how they like to be served and serving them in that way. We have to be active in order to remain in love. The way that we love God needs to be active as well. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, uh, someone asked Jesus, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's your number one command. So how do you do it? Time, communication, and intentional space for God. It's the same. If you needed good marriage, if you came in here in need of marriage advice today, it's time, communication, and intentional space. That's how you build your relationship with God, and that's how you love him actively. If you want to do things that matter, start by worshiping the one who made you. Worship him every single day. Loving God actively looks like knowing how you worship. You know, I, I think worshiping in song is something that everybody can connect with. You need to build a playlist, and you need to make it a part of every single day of your life. I start my day with worship every day. And on days where I don't, occasionally I'm weak and I I start off, I'm like Morgan Wallen first thing in the day. And I'm listening to a drinking song at 6 a.m. And I'm going to be honest, that day doesn't go great usually. The days where I begin my day with worship is very different. Because the world is always trying to crowd your perspective. It's trying to put all these little things, which are temporary things, which disappear, which get recorded in the book of Annals, which are going to be forgotten, not even a generation from now, but a decade from now. These things that you're you're giving your whole life to are going to disappear. When you put worship, which is what you were made to do at the beginning of your day, and you put a priority on it, it changes your focus. These things that seemed really important to you before... They're not as important now as honoring and worshiping your God. Worship God. Pray to Him. Communicate with Him. Spend time communing in His Spirit. If you don't know how to pray, my best advice to you is download the Pray First app on your phone. It's called Pray First. Pray First. And it has all these guides for prayer in it. You can just read them. And it will just you will learn how to pray if you give every day a few minutes to reading a prayer from this app. Pray. Learn how to pray. Pray every day. I don't, there, the, there is nothing in my life that is more important to my spiritual, emotional, even physical health than prayer. I don't do what I do without prayer. It's got to be steeped in prayer. Love God by communicating with Him. And study His Word. Read stories like the story of Jehu and get all pumped up about it. Read about Jesus and what He's done. Come to understand the nature and character of God by studying the Gospel of John. Get in there and study God's Word. Be relational with God and serve Him. Serve Him in a way that glorifies Him. And when you love God, you're giving your attention to something that matters. Love God and then love people. Uh, the second, this is, Jesus says in verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then in verse 39, he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If you want your life to matter, love people well. One time Jesus gave this answer, this commandment uh, about, you know, love God and love people. And there was a lawyer in the crowd looking for a loophole. There's always that guy, Right trying to find the loophole. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? Got him. He's like, yeah, got you, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Jesus answers him by telling the story of the Good Samaritan, a story about a man in need who gets ignored by his pastor, and he gets ignored by his neighbors, and he gets help from a guy uh, who was a part of a people the Jews actively hated. And the guy who should have hated him ends up Helping him. Jesus uses this story to help us understand that we're called to love everybody. He was showing us who our neighbor is by saying he's the person that you agree with and he's the person you don't agree with. If you want your life to matter, learn how to love every person well. Love your friends well, love your families well, love your enemies well. Don't retaliate, don't clap back. Don't have the best comeback in the conversation. Don't argue on the internet. That would be in the Bible if the internet had existed. (laughs) Just show kindness and empathy and forgiveness and love. Love people who are nothing like you and who are undeserving of your love. Love people who don't agree with you. Love people who oppose you. If you want your life to matter, get outside and start actively loving people and then make disciples make disciples if you want to live your life in obedience and do the things that matter the most to Jesus he gave us this command love god well love people well it can all be summed up in these two things and then the very last thing that he said in Matthew 28 verse 18 it said Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Making disciples is one of the most important commands God gave us. If you want your life to matter, live it in obedience and do it by making disciples. Go tell people about Jesus. Teach them how to live like Jesus. Invest your life into others and you'll be living a life that is worth remembering, which brings me to my second point. If you want your life to matter, pay attention to legacy. Pay attention to legacy. What are the things that are gonna outlive me? It's not your investments in your portfolio and the wealth that you acquire and hope to hand down. That stuff's great. Do it. It's not the most important thing. Your legacy is not who you are It's who follows you. Jesus gives us this command about making disciples and that's about legacy. It's about making Jesus famous, not just in the generation you're a part of, but in the generations that come next, in the generations that come after them, in the generations that come after them. See, we are in a part of an unbroken chain going all the way back to Jesus of discipleship. You and I wouldn't be here in this room if people hadn't given their lives to the act of discipleship, if they hadn't learned how to not only tell someone about Jesus, that's the first step, tell them about me, baptize them, and then teaching them how to live like Jesus, teaching them how to, how to give their lives to Jesus. See, so Jehu's whole mission was about legacy. King Ahab had the opportunity to live a great life, but instead he disobeyed God and brought sin into Israel. So his legacy became sin. He dishonored God. So God used Jehu not only to destroy him and his wife, but to destroy his entire legacy. And because Jehu acted in obedience to God, God offered him a greater legacy. He said, your descendants will rule to the fourth generation. Legacy matters. It matters to God. But you've got to invest in the right legacy because some of the legacy of Jehu was book of kings and some of it became book of annals. So how do we know what we're really meant to invest in? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. We talked about one, disciples. Making disciples is your legacy. How many people are living free in Jesus' name because of your investment in the kingdom of God? How much of your life are you devoting to making disciples? What's the percentage of time? How many people have you trained in your workplace versus people you've trained in following Jesus? Take a step back and evaluate your life. What are you doing that will be forgotten? And what are you doing which will be remembered? how much of your life were you giving to making disciples it was so important to jesus it was his last command before he ascended to heaven but for many of us it's an afterthought or something that we just don't even know what it really means uh, at one time somebody asked me about discipleship for the church and we were young as a church and honestly i was still trying to figure out what i'm still trying to figure out what that means for us in the best way but they asked me that and i said well what do you think discipleship means they had no idea. They were like, I was honestly hoping that you would tell me. I was like, well, I was hoping you would tell me. Can we work on this together? Discipleship can get murky and it can get complicated, but it's a lot simpler, simpler. It's a lot simpler than we make it out to be. It's not as hard as you think. You get yourself discipled. You let somebody else invest in and pour into you and teach you how to follow Jesus. Get yourself discipled. That's the first step. You give your life to Jesus, and then you become a disciple of him. Somebody's got to show you the way. Get in a a life group. Get to know somebody. Ask them to teach you. Hey, you're, you're a few years ahead of me. Your family loves Jesus. You love Jesus. I just got to know Jesus. Can you teach me more about him? Get discipled. Second, share your story with others. Don't be the person Who has worked with someone for 20 years and they had no idea that you were a follower of christ everybody that you work with should be annoyed with how well you follow christ share your story tell people what he's done for you tell people what he's doing for you have conversations that lead to people knowing jesus bring them to church hey you should come with me some sunday where they can hear the gospel and they can give their life to him and then just share with them what was shared with you Because you've been getting discipled from somebody else. Now you can take what you were given and give it to somebody else. Teach others how to live free and follow Jesus. Rinse and repeat. This is the process of making disciples. Not just to keep plugging our fall here at the gathering, but we're launching new small group curriculums in the fall. And one of them is all about discipleship and what it means to be discipled. Keep an eye out for that if that's been a mystery to you, join that group and let's go through it together. So your legacy is in making disciples. And if you're married and if you have kids, your legacy is your family. In Ephesians 5, 25, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gives a similar command to the wives. And then in chapter six, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and in instruction of the Lord. In other words, take time and energy to invest in your family. In the Old Testament, over and over again, we get the story of genealogy and succession and successors over and over again. It's this idea of the legacy that we have with our spouse and with our children. If you are a parent, do not let those short years of influence that you have go by without discipling your own children. You have a great legacy that is coming up in your home. Send followers of Christ out into the world. It doesn't have to be like you're sitting down every day and taking them through the Romans road or your Share Jesus Without Fear Bible that you still have from the 90s. Do that, but also just be present for them. Actively follow Jesus in front of them. Let them see it in you. Your children want to emulate you. They want to be like you, dads. They're watching you. They're watching all the little things that you do that you don't think that they notice. Moms, they're watching you. Follow Jesus with your life and they will come behind you. Invest in the legacy at home. Give them your attention. Give them your focus. If you are spending far greater time building a legacy at work than you are building a legacy in your house, you are wasting your life. Do not waste your life. When you are dying and on your deathbed, your coworkers may not be at your side, but your children, I pray, will be. Invest in a legacy that actually matters. And don't put it down the road either. Don't say, well, I'm going to build and build and build now so that I can spend more time with them later. You may not get a later. Invest today in a legacy that matters. This is what's important. These are the things that get recorded forever versus recorded for a little while your legacy isn't your wealth that you build. It's not what you accomplish at work. It's not the feed you publish on Instagram. It is the people you invest in, whether it's through the church or at your home. Don't miss it. Last thing is this. Pay attention to purpose. Pay attention to purpose. Jehu was given this grand purpose. It was to lead the people of God to worship him and worship him only. He began his reign by executing that purpose. He eliminated the line of Ahab and Jezebel and wiped out Baal worship from the land of Israel. But as time went on, Jehu got distracted from his purpose. He got wrapped up in his own success. He became complacent And he began to worship false gods himself. He didn't worship Baal, the god of Ahab, because he learned his lesson there. Instead, he worshipped a golden calf, the same idol that the Israelites worshipped in the book of Exodus when they were wandering in the desert. They were punished for it then, and Jehu was punished for it now. And as a result of his idol worship, Jehu devoted the majority of his life to things that would be forgotten forever. 27 out of a 28 year reign disappeared i wonder what golden calves you've devoted your life to i wonder what idols you're given all your time and your attention and even your worship to that have nothing to do with the purpose god created you with i believe that you have a purpose every single one of us was crafted and created with a purpose in mind. Ephesians 2, 10 says, you are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works prepared in advance for you to do. That means that God had a mission in mind for you when he was putting you together. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not in this world by happenstance. You're not the way that you are by mistake. It's not just the system of neurons firing in your brain. You are how you are because an artist designed you that way. Your father put you together with a purpose in mind. And your purpose is not as complicated as we make it out to be. We spend our lives seeking out purpose. What can I do that will give me meaning in this life? Well, the answer is in the scriptures. From start to finish, it says the same thing glorify God and serve people glorify God and serve people what did Jesus do for 33 years on this earth he glorified God and he served people you are called to do this simple thing and you're called to do it in a way that only you can you have a purpose and a way to glorify God and serve people that is unique to you you've got to discover what that purpose is and then you got to give your whole life to it. Do the work outlined above. Be a part of the bride of Christ, the church. Serve the church. Discover the way that you were made to serve. And then draw lines around the purpose that you discover and stay inside those lines for good. Live your life in a way that is worth Remembering. Give your life to things that build up the kingdom of heaven and become eternal, not things that are going to be forgotten forever. Take a moment this, today, this week, to step back and take inventory. Look at that 10,000-foot view. How am, I, how am I spending my time? You don't have to do this when it's all over and you're at the end and you're looking back filled with regret. You can do it right now today and you can change the story from here going forward. You can do the things that matter. You can invest in legacy, in purpose, in obedience, and be remembered in the kingdom of heaven forever. Let's pray to you. If you're here today, actually, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe, maybe you've given your life to a lot of things that don't matter. You've, you've looked everywhere. You've tried to fill up all the gaps in your heart, and you can't find anything that satisfies you can start doing things that matter right now here today. You know, the wonderful thing about discipleship, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he's done the work of forgiveness for you. God wants to know you just as you are. You, you don't have to get it right first. You don't have to know how to live like him first. You don't have to get everything perfect first. First, you just enter relationship with him. And then you're one of his children adopted into sonship. You get all the gifts, all the blessings, the purpose, all of it that he's created you to have. And from there, you go forward and become discipled and start giving your life to the things that matter most. And if you're here today and you're ready to start that journey, every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the work that you've done to be in a relationship with me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all the things I've tried to do to do it on my own. I need you, Lord. So from this day forward, all that I am is yours. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.